0: Better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco okay. with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is April 21st, 2015. This is episode. 1561 of the Survival Podcast, and uh, I got a TikTok thought for you today. Today is April the 21st, comes next is May the 21st, and then what comes after that is June the 21st. In other words, the first third of spring... Has sprung and gone. I know for some of you guys, you have not actually had the real spring of spring yet. Some people are still getting snow, but when we look at the the the, the clock of the seasons, it doesn't run on our clock of you know the 12 month cycle the way we run it with each month ending and then that being a quarter. We have you know the, the solstices and the equinoxes, and that means that just yesterday. March twenty first, first day of spring. Third of spring's gone. Third of spring's gone. Heading for summer fast. Tick tock, tick tock. The clock clicks clicks for us all. You're either working on liberty and independence, or you're not. You're either moving toward greater freedom or greater tyranny. It's up to you in your own personal life. And that's kind of the subject of today's show. We're going to take another look at the concept of virtual nations. Really, it's been like a year since I did the, 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 the first show I ever did on the concept of a virtual nation and how it might work. And I got an email today from someone this morning that said, what's your opinion of BitNation? That's at bitnation.co. Uh, and it was what is the concept, and I, lo- I love the concept, uh, the, the execution on BitNation. I really don't know where they're at, but I wouldn't buy any other virtual currency to be part of it right now because I don't see anything happening there. And I'll tell you more about that and what we learned from failure as well, but... If we're going to have liberty and we're going to move toward greater liberty and greater self-governance, then we have to actually pick up the mantle of self-governance. And we have to come up with solutions to things that government's doing right now. We have to do them differently. We have to create our own battlefield, as it were. Because if we fight on the existing battlefield, we lose. Period. And that means we have to be able to move in and out of different spaces very quickly, sometimes physically and sometimes just in a virtual sense. We'll talk about that more today and how you can use these concepts right now instead of just waiting for someone to uh, create a cloud city. How some of these concepts are individually adaptable just that if we created platforms for them that might be stronger. If you wonder why this is a survival topic, multiple reasons. One, I'm going to tell a story today when we get into the main subject that will blow you away with how much in love with the state some people are and how bad things will get if we don't do something. That's one. But but two, whether or not this concept ever works the way that I kind of see it working, the only way we're going to survive a lot of the misery that mankind is getting ready to heap upon himself in the coming decades is through creative thinking and problem solving. So when we take thought experiments like this and we start using them, whether or not we actually build this thing, the ability of your mind to adapt and be a creative problem solver in your own life, whether it's how to freaking prevent your roof from caving in after a storm, how to grow your own food, or how to start a business, The, the concept is the same. It's always about a total systems understanding about what's going on, identifying the problems, and then determining what you can do, what you might be able to do someday, and what you can't do right now, then move it out of the way and don't make it an excuse for not doing the things you can. That will be a big takeaway from today's show. Anyway, before I do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor today, day number one today, KnifeKits.com. You know, this country used to be a country where people knew how to do stuff. I mean, they really did. Like, if something broke, like, you didn't just call a guy. And, and I get calling a guy for things. I, I do. There's a time constraint issue. But not to the extent of not knowing how to do things for yourself. For instance, yeah, I get somebody to change my oil, but I know how to do it. And I think that what we need are people learning to do more hard skills with their hands. What a great way to do that, to get, you know, maybe get your kids involved. and Get your, get a knife kit and get the additional materials you need if you need that. And get a book or a DVD if you're not sure what to do and, and make a knife. And, you know, you're not, it's a kit. You're not going to screw it up. Let's say you screw up the handle material. That's not it's a couple bucks. The blade's still good. The frame's still good. Got another handle. Keep doing it till you get it right. You'll be very proud of what you've done at the end. You'll probably surprise yourself as as well. To learn more about this stuff, check out KnifeKits.com. Remember, they do do a discount for members of the Support Brigade as well. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. You know, if you want to know how to do stuff, go there. They tell you how to do stuff in every edition. Stuff your grandfather knew how to do, and stuff your grandfather probably never would have ever came up with. The modern and the old brought together with libertarian flair, you'll find it at Backwoods Home Magazine. A company that I can endorse with just full-on, you know, joy. Because I've been a customer of Blackwood's Home since 1994. Give them a shot. You'll see why. Check them out today, backwoodshome.com. And remember, they also do a discount for you on the member support brigade. Uh, next up today, just some random updates on some things. I have done a new episode of the Duck Chronicles. I know it's been a long time coming, but I have been so buried lately. I've got so much stuff to get in the ground. I still have another... 30 grapevines to get planted. I've got storms coming this week that I'm worried about either damaging the house or damaging what I've planted, trying to get things in ahead of it. I've got just so much going on. Ducks hatching, uh, baby adopted ducks, the big duck move, uh, plus keeping this running and some other stuff I'll tell you about in a second. There will be quite a few updates today. But I did get an update of the Duck Chronicles done. It is uploaded already. All that has to be done is I have to put a little bit of text in with it and uh, open it up to the public. So by the time you hear this, it's probably live. Remember, you can always find the full playlist at DuckChronicles.com where I chronicle the life of the Spearco Ducks. And a lot of people have told me they really get a lot out of that and uh, watch it with their kids and what have you. And, and I know this is an adult show at TSP here on, on the podcast that we do use some adult words at times. Some people let their kids listen and explain it, and some just say that's life and some don't. But Duck Chronicles is completely clean, rated G, and you can... Uh, Check that out with your kiddos with no concerns whatsoever on the content. Uh, next up, I want to let you guys know Gen Ford is in beta, a true beta at this point. It does work. It does function. You can get in if you already have an account and start – Creating your legacy for future generations. Uh, those of you that are new, maybe don't remember or weren't around, but we did a um, an Indiegogo to get Gen Four developed and off the ground. We did that through the end of last year. It's been a long development timeline. There's a lot of stuff we're still working on, but it's it's ready to go. We're going to get really uh, into our our big beta launch probably by the end of this week. But it's kind of it's there. It works. There's some things to clean up, but. It's ready to go. If you want to uh, sign up and become a member, you can do that. Get uh, Your first 30 days free to try things out. And I'll also let you know that we're going to be, and I'm not doing it officially today, but we're going to be looking for blog contributors on the Gen Forward blog to talk about parenting issues, dealing with familial relationships, and things like that. We really want Gen Forward not only to be a place where people can preserve their knowledge and, and, and everything today, to make basically your life experiences immortal because your body can't be so that someday a great-grandchild will realize that you're still there for them. You can put a virtual hand on their shoulder. We we want it to be that, but we also want it to help in the now. And a lot of that is just people sharing information about what works and what doesn't in dealing with family. So we're going to be looking for authors on the GenForward blog. Just hold on to that little nugget, and we'll let you know more uh, about that later this week. Again, GenForward.com. Next up, MSB. Guys, I have two great vendors being put into the MSB uh, today, I'll get the updates done and I'll put out an announcement, but they're going to be great. Just keep an eye out for that, so I am making the MSB better. On that note, consider joining. If you join the MSB, you help support the show. It comes out to about 20 cents an episode. You can learn more by going to the survivalpodcast.com and clicking on Members. So, just wanted to kind of update with you with some of the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes there. Uh, now, let us take a look at the year that was the episode, the year 1561. I have UFO Watch, Battle over Nuremberg. I have St. Basil's Cathedral, spires are up. St. Paul's Cathedral, spires burned down. And I have the fourth battle to bring peace to the 17 tribes, yada, yada, yada. Um, There's too much complicated words to say in the battle to bring peace to the 17 tribes, so I'm going to read UFO Watch, Battle over Nuremberg. Several apparitions appear in the midst of the sun. The people of Nuremberg watch globes of blood red and cylinders fighting for hours and moving out beyond the sun and returning. They aren't sunspots. Whatever they are, the people have only a limited number of explanations for them. Many interpret this display in the sky as signs from God to repent of their evil ways. Others ignore these signs. This isn't the first modern UFO sighting. But it's pretty close. It does come, uh, it does come with art though, and it is reasonably spectacular. Something happened that day, indeed. My take by Alex Shrug. Do I believe in UFOs? UFOs don't require belief. Do I believe that there have been aliens visiting the Earth since ancient times? No, I don't. Could there be such beings? In the theoretical sense, yes. Practically speaking, it doesn't matter. I've heard the argument of an infinite number of monkeys typing out Shakespeare to explain how aliens could exist somewhere in the universe, but I'm not somewhere, I'm here. There are not an infinite number of monkeys within the region of stars close enough to make communication practical, so the chances of intelligent life being randomly created right here are just about zip The fact that I exist tells me the chances are not zero. They're pretty, just very low without divine intervention. A Star Trek Prime Directive doesn't explain how alien spacecraft can be landing everywhere for hundreds of years, and yet not one of them thinks to land on the front lawn of the White House. There is some other explanation that doesn't involve alien races that think human beings are delicious. My take by Jack Spirico, do I believe in UFOs? Well, since a UFO is an unidentified flying object and we see things in the sky sometimes and don't know what they are, again, I think Alex is dead on. I don't think they require belief. They just are what they are. So, yeah, I think there are unidentified flying objects because anything you can't identify would technically be a UFO. Do I believe in alien life? I I think it's impossible that there's not life elsewhere. Where it is, what it's like, does it want to communicate with us? Is it to the level that can communicate with us? It is it such an advanced level that we're not worth messing with, etc.? Ad nauseum, I don't know. I don't know. Do I think that it's possible that any unidentified creature from another world or time or space or dimensions ever come here to this planet? I absolutely think it's possible. Do I think it's probable Probably not. I lean toward the probably probably not. Um, there's an awful lot of things... I, like, I love watching ancient aliens with the freaked out hair guy, Giovanni, whatever. Uh, and I think it's very interesting the cases they make, but generally speaking, every case they make, I'm like, there's other explanations for this uh, that make a hell of a lot more sense and are a lot more probable. I kind of come down with Alex on this. I, I don't necessarily think it's impossible... I just think if it were happening, we'd have a hell of a lot more proof. I, I, I think of it this way. There's a picture a meme that's gone around on Facebook, and it's, uh, it's Bigfoot. And he's just kind of sitting Indian-style with his hands in his lap, hanging out in the woods, and it says, Reigning Hide-and-Seek World Champion. If there was Bigfoot, somebody would have shot one by now, found one frozen in an ice pack, or... You know, One would have just walked across the street and showed up and not ran away and hid. It, 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 Bigfoot is a myth. I'm sorry if you love Bigfoot hunters and believe what they're doing is really important work. It's a myth. Uh, that doesn't mean there couldn't be some sort of entity like a Bigfoot that had involved in man's past that just doesn't happen to be here anymore. That doesn't mean it couldn't have ended up in the here and now, just that it isn't. And that's kind of how I feel about alien life. Now, some fairly big-wig people out of NASA have come out and basically said, based on what they're able to do now, they believe they'll be able to provide conclusive proof of some sort of life somewhere else in the universe within 10 to 20 years. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not as easy to say something like that because you're usually not around 20 years later. Uh, at least not remembered. And then if it happens, you say, see, I told you so. And if it doesn't happen, you just keep your mouth shut. So I don't know if that's true or not. But I do think it's interesting. And I do think there are some things that we don't know how to explain. It doesn't mean there's not an explanation. And I think that the reason this topic interests me as a survivalist, and someone who is very much not trusting of government, I still have to accept that there are good people doing good work to the best of their ability in those places, and we can't have a cognitive dissonance where we think, or a a perception bias where we think that everything that everybody does that happens to wear a uniform is part of a vast conspiracy to get us. And I think that's where a lot of people in this space are, and that's why they tend to believe in aliens, and never met a conspiracy theory they didn't believe, etc. And I think that there's a problem in always believing whatever isn't mainstream. I think it's just as big a problem as always believing everything that is mainstream. And that if we're going to solve the problems that we have in our face today, it's going to take a deeper thinking that requires us to actually come up with not only plausible explanations, but actionable solutions. And those that tend to just gravitate to one side or the other can't do either one of those things. Anyway, that's my take by Jack Spearco and how it applies till today. Anyway, with that, I want to get into uh, today's main topic, and that is, of course, virtual nations and cryptocurrencies. Um, again, today I received a question about something called BitNation. You can learn more at bitnation.co. The crux of the question was, what do you think of the concept? My view of the concept is extremely positive. So far, though, my view of the execution of BitNation is pretty much summed up with, meh. Uh, I I like that they got the idea out there, right? The the concept out there and kind of put like some pictures and some graphs and this is how it could work. And I, I think they did that, but I don't think they actually did it. It's like they designed graphics for a video game but didn't program the game is how it seems. It seems the execution has not lived up to the story, and there three three of their critical founders like quit right before their funding started. Um, that's never a good sign. There's a story there too, though. Many people would look at this and say, "See, it doesn't work. They failed." Well, first they haven't failed. They really haven't done much of anything. Secondly, even if they and say ten others had failed by now, it doesn't negate the concept. Only the method that's being taken toward the concept. Imagine if the first time their aircraft failed, the Wright brothers quit trying. Does that make sense? You know, I really think the younger generation should be leading the way with the concept of virtual nations—the 30 and under crowd. The problem is they don't know a world where failure is acceptable, where failure is championed, where failure is like accepted as this is how you get to success. There's a little bit of lip service paid to it, but we don't feature failure as a pathway to success anymore. And I have a link in the show notes today of the early attempts by the United States to launch rockets. And it's rocket after rocket after rocket exploding. Some of them like, and it never even moves. It just blows up. Some of them go up a little bit and fall over. And I grew up with that. Okay, I grew up with, you know, we went into the... The, the retaking of the lead in the space race from the Russians, which was a lot of propaganda, but that's what, it, what was said and it's what I believed. But it was the advent of the space shuttle and a spaceship that could go to space, come back and land like an airplane and go back up again, right? And because that was going on and because it wasn't, eh, they did that already, and because it was new, there was a lot of the story of space exploration still known to people, including children. That, you know... A few years earlier, man had walked on the moon, and this is how we got there. And these scenes of these rockets failing over and over and over again with the message of this is what it takes to do something this big. You have to fail. was still being said to the public. People still understood that. And I, I don't think we understand that today. To fail is horrible. To fail proves something doesn't work. If it doesn't work the first time, it's never going to work. We've got to get past that. And we have to examine why something fails so that we can continue with the concept and work on the method. That's not just, like I said, today's show is not just about cryptocurrencies and virtual nations. It's about understanding how to advance things forward and how to solve problems. And that's how you solve a problem. You don't abandon the concept. You change the method to ensure the success of the concept over time. So let's start looking at BitNation, why I think it failed in my view. I looked at BitNation right from the beginning and had some hackles up on my hair. It looked an awful lot like a venture capital pitch to the public instead of a venture capitalist. It seemed like it was more about pretty images. It was more about a story. It was more about a pitch more about like here's the business plan, etc., and yet those things weren't even finished. So it was like a polished-up presentation to ask for money, and we didn't even finish the polish on the presentation. So it seemed more about funding than function. That incomplete documentation let you know right away there was no platform ready yet. Right, when you went and you 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 looked at like all the functions the platform would 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 you know solve, like marriages and corporations, etc. And some of them said coming soon. But you can't even say what it's gonna do. How's it coming soon? This is like this is like a little blurb you couldn't come up with. Like so there wasn't the development there. I also think that the gal behind it was one personality trying to fully control it. And the people that quit said she has full control. So when you have one person dominating something this big, it, 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 it's going to fail because they're married to their ideas to the exclusion of collaboration. And it's that very collaboration that's necessary to get something like this to function. And then the other thing, it was looked to me like it was really a profit motive. Instead of the motivation of profits. And let's talk about virtual nations, how they will would work, and, and to understand what I mean by that. So a virtual nation would simply be this, this cloud city, so to speak. A place where people could make business arrangements with each other. Two people might get married in, in, in the, the, the a bit nation, or I called it Libertas, right? nation. It would be the domain name for the fictitious place that I created in my head when I first came to this concept. And we might get married there. We might have agreements on what marriage means and how asset division would happen. And we have our own private litigation that we would choose, avoiding the state entirely. And if, If we did that, then we would have the freedom to choose our own way to deal with our problems. And there would be thousands of ways to make money or profit if it's not cash, because you wouldn't want somebody's currency in there. You'd want it to be in some sort of virtual currency that's the currency of the nation to make this work. And there'd be so many ways built in there to profit. The people that should be developing the network shouldn't be trying to make the development itself the model of profit, but building the platform so that they can go in there and profit through their activities within the nation. They should be led pioneer-like. So you didn't make money by coming to the new world. You came to the new world to make money. You didn't get paid to build your house on your 40 acres as a, as a homesteader, you built your house so you had a place to live so that you could make money as a homesteader. right? This is the mentality that was lacking there. Now, some people would say, is this really necessary? And I said I would share a story with you that would drive home just how necessary it, it is and, and how much some people are in love with the state as a solution to everything. And I, this is one of those things that... If it wasn't on ABC News, I would think this came from the onion. This doesn't even sound real. It's so stupid. And it's so stupid that the state was even willing to get involved with this. And that the state was required to get involved with this. If I could only give you one example of why we need to create virtual nations and, and, and at least push out the concept of you can fix your problems without involving the state, this would be it. It actually is an old story. It comes from February of 2004, but it just came to me today from Karim, and I couldn't believe how well it matched up with what we're talking about today. So here's the story. Teens sued for cookie delivery to a neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, where do you hear the full details? It gets worse. Usually, the headline's sensational, and then the story's not quite live up to it. That's how they get you to read it. Now, in this case, like wow, where do you hear this? A pair of Colorado teens surprised the neighbor by baking cookies, no charge. It cost them nine hundred dollars. Taylor Ostergard, eighteen, and Lindsay Zellit, nineteen, decided to stay home from a dance in July in order to surprise their neighbors with an anonymous delivery of homemade cookies. But one of their neighbors, Juanita Renee Young, 49, became so terrified she suffered from an anxiety attack and called the police. Young sued the girls this week and was awarded $900 to recoup her medical bills. Oh, this is hard to read, man. The two teens recounted the incident on Good Morning America and said though they were disappointed by the judge's decision, they weren't angry and would continue to do good deeds. No good deed goes unpunished. After finishing farm chores for the evening, Ostergaard asked her father if she and Zaletti could bake cookies and deliver them to a few neighbors in rural Durango. Quote, we think outside the box a little more than usual, end quote, said Zaletti quote, we just wanted to do something nice for other people to let them know other people care about them, even though they didn't know who it was, end quote. The girls knocked on doors only of homes with the lights on, left the cookies on the porch, and ran away, wanting to keep their good deed anonymous. The packages included a heart-shaped card that read, have a great night, from the T&L Club. Man, these seem like awesome girls, don't they? Around 10:30 p.m., they knocked on Young's door. Young, whose home had reportedly been burglarized before, became frightened and called the police. The police determined no crime had been committed, but the next day, Young was admitted to the hospital suffering from an anxiety attack. I'm about to have a freaking rage attack listening to this bullshit. Does this this not bother you yet? Oh, it gets worse. You won't believe the big dig in this, how stupid this is. Despite receiving a note of apology from the girls and an offer to pay her medical bills, Young ended up suing them. On Thursday, a Durango judge ordered the girls to pay $900 for Young's medical bills. She was awarded nothing for pain and suffering. Quote, I know there wasn't any intent to cause harm, but I think they made some poor choices, end quote, Young has said. Quote, I think there should have been some accountability, end quote. I think there should be some accountability to your moron mind, you idiot! Oh, are you an idiot? If I were the judge in this, I would have thrown it out of my court. I would have absolutely thrown it out of my court. I would have said, they offered to pay your medical bills and you're in front of me. I would have fined you for contempt of court for bringing this bullshit to me What a solution had been offered. Let me finish. Offers of support. Ostergaard said they never would have delivered the cookies to Young had they known about her past problems. How about her current mental problems? I think that's the problem. Quote, we had no idea about the burglars, end quote, she said. Quote, we felt so horrible when we found out that we had caused someone harm or made them feel upset, end quote. The girls said they were surprised, but still respected the judge's decision. Quote, it kind of startled us because we were trying to do something nice. It was kind of a blow, end quote, said Zaletti. But now the girls are getting support from all over the country, including monetary contributions to pay their fine. Quote, America's been wonderful, said Zaletti. Quote, they're just supporting us, making us feel so much better about this, end quote. Um, This is why... America needs to start creating private solutions instead of going to the state. Now, I think there's two things at play here. I think this woman is a statist that loves the state and wants the state to do her bidding and can't possibly see a way fit to solve the problem herself. I also think she was gold digging a little bit. Right, I had an anxiety attack. I had to go to the doctor, and the judge is like, "Yeah, here, here's your medical bills. Go back on about your life." She wanted pain and suffering, so there might have been some fishing for extra money here, but it does explain the problem, doesn't it? That even when the pe the person who committed the offense, if you want to call it that, is willing to provide restitution to help you deal with it, you still can't say okay, and you go to the state to solve your problem. We can't live like this and not expect that 20 years from now we won't live in a complete tyranny that will make 1984 look like a cakewalk. It won't be all dark and dingy like the 1984 movie, but you will have no freedom or liberty left and there will be no attempt made by anybody to resolve any problem with anybody else until we create a pathway to solving that one problem. There's so many problems out there. Now... If we do look at the BitNation model and and see that it didn't really catch fire, didn't work, what do we learn from that? I think we learned that a virtual nation has got to be open source. And what I mean by open source is not just in disclosing what they're doing or making what they're doing available for others to look at. I think it has to be collaborative open source. It has to be anybody can work on it and plug anything they want into it at any time. And we're not even going to say no as long as it doesn't interfere with some other piece of it, right? So if I make something and I, 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 I make it part of this platform, it would have to be kind of like the FCC regulations around like electronic devices. Like it's fine to make an electronic device, but if its signal is powerful enough to interfere with somebody's TV set, then you can't do it. So it wouldn't be the same thing. It's like the same but different, man, type of thing. Um, <laughs> you'd have to have. So you'd have to have some level of protocols. But, it, I mean, it's not unheard of. I mean, if you look at WordPress, WordPress is an open source blogging platform and there are millions of plugins for it. And I can put a plugin into it, but I don't have to. And the whole platform isn't damaged because of a plugin. So I see this being more of like you build a a hub of a wheel and your open source developers can then develop spokes that plug in to the hub. And then you don't worry about whether or not it's valid The people that are expected to use it or not tell you if it's valid. It would be like, you know, there's WordPress plugins that I bet no one uses. The guy that developed it really thought it was important because he wanted it. Figured I'll make it a plugin, I'll put it out there. He put it in his blog. Like one guy in Sri Lanka used it too and turned it off. That's fine. It doesn't cost the entire entity anything for that one individual to take a shot at it. And then on the other hand, there's been people that have whipped together simple little plugins that they didn't even think were that important and thought, I might as well put it out there. And, and there's a million people using it today, or more. So that model's already there for us. and I think that's how a virtual nation has to work. Um, I think that anybody that's going to be the founder is going to have to be willing to step aside at any time. I think you have to have a, a, an anarchist leader principle going on there. And, and, and what that means is people think anarchy means no rules or, you know, what it means is no rulers. That, that's what it means. There's rules, there's agreed upon rules, there's structures, there's leaders. See, a leader is not a ruler. A leader is someone that we can put in place to get something done. And when they're done with that, their power goes away, right? The, the power of any leadership must be revocable. Well, when you found something, you always have power. Right, You will always have clout over something you've founded, no matter how far out of the way you step. So that means you have to be willing to step very far out of the way and remove your personality and your own personal desires from the equation. Founders of something like this would have to be evangelical about it, but they have to let go. They can't keep their finger in the pie. They can't keep demanding things or changing things or throwing their weight around. They have to get out of the way. And if they don't do that, the the thing will never be birthed. Because the people that are trying to help you will get tired of you and go away. Which is kind of what happened to BitNation. You have to develop the technology first. You you can only tell people it's going to do this, it's going to do that, it's going to do this, it's going to do that. For so long before they go bored. Because it doesn't. So... I think that for a, 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 a virtual nation to work, the platform has to be to a point that I can c- come there, and I can enter the platform in whatever way that happens, and I have to be able to do some of the things you're talking about right away, you know, and not symbolically like somebody got married in Bitnation, but it, it, like if that actually existed, so that we could go and I could say I'm going to get married again to my wife as, as a as a citizen of Libertas or Bitnation or, Bit nation or Permaville or whatever it's called right that, that there's actually a mechanism for that to happen, and that we can actually set everything up that there and there would you know then you would have people that would say we can help with that we can preside over your ceremony in the physical world, and you know you can pay the minister's fee if you want to call it that in the virtual world. We can actually make those overlap more on that in a bit, but if it doesn't do anything if it's just a bunch of pictures in a story. And you're already asking for funding to come in before you've done anything so that people can concrete grab onto it and do something. You could only do so much with that, especially when you're selling something so far out in people's minds, right? So, you know, you buy the currency or whatever to be part of it, but you're not part of it yet because it's not really there. It's like venture capitalism, so maybe it pays off. And I think that was how. BitNation tried to play it, like if this works, you're buying this currency for next to nothing, well the value of it is going to go way, 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 way up, so it'll be very profitable even if you don't do anything with the, with the product itself, and, and nobody bought into it, so it was like basically a new way to launch another something coin, with an idea attached to it, but the idea wasn't developed. So the idea has to be developed to some level of a functioning platform before you start asking people to put a lot of money into it. And it has to be sold for what it can do versus what it can do and, and from a standpoint of making you money through just yet another investment play. It can't be seen as just another method of arbitrage like I 'll throw a thousand bucks at it because if it works, just like I could have thrown a thousand dollars at Bitcoin if it was smart and been worth half a million dollars, say maybe this will take off, so i'll throw a grand at it that That doesn't go very far and it's, it's we talked about tulip mania yesterday, even when it works, it turns into a disaster. Because people are only buying it for the gain, and they're not actually buying it for what it is. They were buying the tulip bulb because they could sell it next week for a profit. They were never buying it to put it in the ground and grow a tulip. Well, the tulip bulb market is fine today because people buy tulips to plant tulips, right? They don't they don't buy a tulip bulb to sit on it for six months and dump it to somebody else for more money. Well, if you're going to build anything, including a virtual nation. You've got to develop the platform and you've got to sell the functioning. So the person says, I want to be part of this because here's what it does. Here's how I'll use it. You know, it would be like if Facebook launched and said, one day it's going to do all this stuff, maybe. So give us money. It wouldn't have worked. It just would not have worked that way. And even if they made some money, it would have never become what it is. And when Facebook launched, did it do all the things that it does today? No, it did a fraction of the things it did it it, it, it does today. But it did something, and, and that's where I think we haven't gotten to yet with any type of virtual nation. The cryptocurrencies will do something, but the 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 platform that would be the cloud city that I envision has not yet been developed. Um. And the idea still needs time to be accepted, right? People aren't ready for this yet. Like, I put it out, and if you want to understand more about why or how this would function, I did a show about a year ago. I'll have a link in the show notes today. If you haven't heard that, they'll get more deeper into the mechanics of how it would work, why it would work, why you would do it in the first place. And and when I did that show, there were so many people that couldn't, for the life of them, see how this would work, how it would be relevant, how somebody wouldn't stop you, blah, 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 blah. And it was because they, and I was like, what would you put into the Constitution of, of something like this? Which was really a technical specification. And people started immediately with things like representatives can only serve two terms. It's like, w- why do you think you'd have representatives? See, because they're in a paradigm that, that infers if there is to be governance, there must be somebody to represent you. Well, you represent yourself. And when you want additional representation, you select it individually. Through contract. (laughs) People can't get their head around that simple concept. This thing, and I've realized as I'm doing this, I didn't rehash a lot of what I did back then. If Some of you might be a little lost and want to go listen to that. But it's because it's hard to accept the fact that there could just be a, a, a place, even a virtual place, where people literally had the right to only voluntarily associate and engage voluntarily with anything, period, and could never be coerced into doing anything against their will. They might choose to do something that's a little bit not what I really want to do, but through their own assessment of the situation. So, you know, there's times where I need to do a job, out on my property that's not as fun as another job that also needs to be done. But the not fun job is more important right now, and I have to make a decision to do that. That's still voluntary. I've, I've still come to that conclusion. Now, if you come to my house and say, you have to do these things, now it's not voluntary anymore. You're telling me what to do with my property. And if, if you think that sounds bad, that is government. That's what government does in its current form. Self-governance would would mean just that. We would do these things for ourselves. We would associate with others in in a new form of tribalism. Some of these virtual nations might be small, some of them might be huge, but a huge one might be made up of a thousand tribes. And they have certain things they agree upon and they don't agree upon, and they just leave each other alone in this virtual space. Um let's talk a little bit again before I go forward just understand that like for these platforms to work they have to do something because people have to see it function so that they'll accept that it could work uh, in other words you can't the rocket might take off and explode but at least people saw the rocket do something and knew oh well it got five feet this time maybe you can go higher well that's you know BitNation didn't even get the rocket onto the launch pad in my opinion it didn't do anything So that it could blow up. So that we could figure it out. Um, And it's going to take that for people to start getting how this, why this, that type of thing. But let's talk about what a virtual nation would be for a little bit. Maybe I should have done this segment first, and I'm sorry for that. But it is what it is, guys. I'm not perfect. Um, But I call it a literal cloud city. So if you think about the Star Wars uh, saga... There's this, this mining colony that exists in space above a planet. And it's always surrounded by clouds. And, of course, that's where Lando Calrissian is, and he kind of runs the joint. But it operates sort of in this pseudo-anarchist world, right? Like, the, 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 the Empire deals with them, the Rebels deal with them, and everybody kind of leaves them alone to a degree. And this would be like creating that shell to make that happen. So that's that's what I mean by a literal cloud city that the cloud this time instead of being these gaseous clouds from a planet below, the cloud actually being the virtual cloud, the internet cloud. The cloud where if you use Yahoo or Gmail uh, for your email, when you log in, you're in the cloud. The email's not where you are. It's somewhere else. You're accessing it remotely. And then we can move our functions and activities into that cloud in a way that basically doesn't completely get rid of the outside influences of the state, but puts a shell around it and limits their access and control and ability to determine what we can and cannot do, and, and it limits their ability to tax what you would call a gain. And that doesn't mean you can get completely away from that system, but it does mean you can make it so choppy and clunky and whatever that eventually when you can say, okay, give us some tax guidance, and they go, Ugh, oh, no. And we can do that. We can make certain things within this cloud unquantifiable. Certain values that they they can't assign a value to. Or we can just say it's worth a dollar outside. But it might have the purchasing power of a $1,000 on the inside. And therefore, if you want to tax it, you have to tax it. And will they accept that? No. And we'll get to that in a bit. But you can make it so confusing and you can do so many of them that they can't get their arms around it and sooner or later, you actually will start to get the buy-in of some real nations and some real force. When I mean force, I mean soft force. Influencers. Right. See, it, it, I, the reason I know that this idea has not coalesced to the point where it's truly embraced yet is some guy like Peter Thiel that's trying to do seasteading could throw a couple million bucks at this and build it in a month. So those visionaries haven't really figured this out yet. So I know if they haven't, then the masses haven't. But we can begin to do this. And there are ways, like, so when I brought this concept up, what people said is, okay, so, uh, I'm your attorney and you have an agreement with Tom. So you're Tom and Bill and Tom and Bill and me all have this, um, basic contract. That we enter in together. That I draw the contract up as their attorney. It lives in the cloud and it specifies the obligations of Tom and Bill. And then Tom and Bill select, uh, you know, Frank as their arbitrator. That's inside the cloud. So if there's ever a conflict, Tom and Bill go to Frank. And as long as what they're trading is virtual, education, consulting, web hosting, etc., you can put it in a pretty good bubble. It's it's hard to penetrate for the state. But if Tom and Bill want to trade apples or rattlesnake venom or a car ride, it's, it's complicated. All of a sudden, now it's taking place in the other place, too. So now the government has uh, something outside the shell to focus on to either ban or tax or what have you. And the thing is, again, the rocket has to crash a lot of times before you figure out how to, to not crash the rocket and get it into outer space. But we're starting to see some rockets at least get off the ground a little bit, maybe circle around one time and come back down, even if they don't stay up. An example would be Uber. I didn't know anything about Uber when I did the first show. So the way Uber works, it's really kind of virtual and physical at the same time, and therefore it's a loophole that's been exploited, and yes, been banned by some cities and countries and stuff like that that don't like it. So the way Uber works is it it breaks the state's monopoly, On taxi service, basically. So you can't just go out tomorrow and start up Tom's Taxis. Right? So you can't just decide, I'm going to give people rides, and people can call me, and I'll go pick them up and give them a ride and take their money. See, the state needs to be involved with that. Oh, I know you have a driver's license, but you don't have the right license, and you're not registered, and only so many taxis can exist, and you're supposed to have a sign that says you're a taxi, or you can be hired car service, but that has its own little world, and then that that makes it very expensive, and all of this stuff makes it more expensive for people to use car services and taxi services. Where if more people did, we'd actually have less traffic on the road, people could spend less money on their cars, put less mileage on their cars, and basically share transportation which is supposedly what government wants, but it does everything it can to parasite any solution and therefore reduces the effectiveness of the solution. That's what the state does. Okay. So what the people that founded Uber figured out was, well, what makes it a taxi service is the exchange between me, the rider, and you, the driver. And if I don't give you anything and you don't get anything from me, then it's not a taxi. It's you giving me a ride, and that's perfectly legal. So they created a platform where basically I buy Uber credits, and Uber does all the transaction with drivers based on what drivers choose to do, but at the moment you pick me up, I don't give you any money. And you haven't received any money from me. And it's worked in a lot of places where if you tried to do it with I'll just give you a ride for 10 bucks," you get smacked out. Now that's an example of a physical world service existing in a virtual cloud. And that model could be used for a lot of other things right now that we would think are impossible. Just start thinking about it. I don't have all the answers to this yet, but that starts to show you what can be done. The next thing is you have to understand that blockchain, the technology that actually enables things like Bitcoin transactions and other virtual currencies can make anything you want to make 100% public, 100% public and audible. It also, through other types of technologies, and, and yet to be developed technologies, can make it airtight, impossible to determine what happened. Which makes it perfect for the the, the the desire here, which is a shell to keep the state out, and let the state only know what we want the state to know. And to create basically this wall that says... This is inside Libertos. This is inside Bitco. This is inside whatever. This is not your business. Oh, the way we interact with you on that interactive edge we're always talking about, like how we actually do pay taxes on repatriated money, just like you do if you have a, a business in Panama. You don't pay any taxes in the United States on that money unless you repatriate it. We'll let you see that. And here's how Nation A does that, and here's how Nation B does that. Well, we don't like what Nation B does. Well, we don't give a shit. Well we're going to shut it down. There's nothing to shut down. We're going to come after the owner. There is no owner. That's the that's how that's why you can't have somebody that sits there and collects the money. Right? It has to be basically a virtual banking system built on a trust mechanism that's auditable by anybody and anybody that screws anybody can be found out and yet the state's not allowed in. They can come in as a citizen, but they can't come in as the state and the 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 reserves have to sit in a place that benefit benefit everybody that's chosen to participate equally in the fact that they're there they can't go in somebody's bank account for a variety of reasons one i don't trust anybody with that much power okay and two that is a target so what you would have like the way i talked about it was a two step uh way to to get into a virtual currency so a person that wanted to become a citizen, if you want to use that term, would purchase Bitcoin. And that that currency would never see the daylight as a dollar or a yen or a pound again unless the person wanted to repatriate it and take it out, which they could do at any time. That Bitcoin would then be held in a wallet-type situation by the nation itself. It's, it's the nation's reserve bank. And it would be then have an issuance of an internal currency backed by the Bitcoin. You might have to do it five off. It might be Bitcoin to Litecoin to Zerocoin to Doecoin to... I mean, I don't know how you do it to make it as walled off as possible. That's not my world. I'm not a developer of this stuff. But one way or another, it could be done to the point where there's this space where these credits, you know, space credits are transmitted through Cloud City, And there's never a dollar valuation on them. Everything's bought inside, like Second Life, only it's real. And you could then create, again, an exchange rate that would be very beneficial to anybody on the inside to never take their money to the outside. And if the outside did tax something, they'd get very little in return for their taxation. They'll never let you do that. Well, I'm not asking them to let me do it. I'm not asking anybody to let anybody do anything. I'm saying go do it and make them come after this virtual space that's not really there. With no single person behind it to go after. We'll get all the leadership. Well, we don't have any. Well, we'll get you. You can take me. It won't change the price of tea in Cloud City. I'm sorry. I don't have any power. We'll seize your assets. You can't seize my Cloud City assets. Can't get them out. Sorry. I took five bucks out last week. Here's your 50 cents. Go away. And to do it is above board and as cold calculating as possible. And again, I don't have all the answers. I'm telling you, don't tell me it can't be done because we're seeing pieces of it being done all over the place. I'm talking about a platform that starts to combine the pieces. I think that we also can look at, well, what can we do? What can we do right now inside something like this? There is no reason that we couldn't create very, very quickly a a virtual place where people receive education. All education is received, and all exchange of value for the education is inside the, the sphere. So you wanted to take a class on... Making knives, so you could make a really good knife the next time you get a kit from from um, from KnifeKits.com. And you say, well, I know who knows how to make custom knives. Maybe he makes an entry-level class on knife-making, Patrick Rohrman. And instead of selling you a DVD or a downloadable video or what have you, you go into Cloud City and you exchange Cloud City credits with Patrick. And you watch his video and you've now received an education. How do you tax that? How do you tax that? Well, Patrick received money. No, Patrick received Libertasian coin that has a value of one cent on the exchange. Even though it's worth collectively, effectively, in the world of 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 Libertas, inside there, $100. Here's your fraction of a cent. Go away. Is it that easy? No. But can it be done? Sure. Now, why is the education thing so important? Education is the critical way to control or free a people. You can control people with an education, or you can liberate people with an education. What kind do you think the state provides? A liberating education or a controlling education? Do the people that come out of our school system today generally turn into self-directed, self-motivated entrepreneurs that create their own lives for themselves, or people that beg someone else, like me, for a job. Which one are they creating? I mean, you can say whatever you want, but you judge a teacher by his students' results. What do the preponderance of people that come out of today's education system, both lower and upper-level education, high school and college, and even master's and graduate schools and things like that, most of them go beg someone else. To hire them. Very few actually say straight away, I'm going to go create something of my own. Now, which one is liberty and which one is control? If I educate you and you go out and become an entrepreneur at 18, you learn all the tricks of the rich really, really fast. You start to learn, hey, you know what? You can eat really good discuss your business, record everything in case these idiots come after you, and then you can take half of that, not pay taxes on it. Well, I think that's what I'm going to do. Oh, you mean if my company buys a vehicle, it's an asset, and I have to depreciate it over five years? But if I lease the vehicle with better terms and manage my cash flow better, I deduct 100% of the lease cost... And if I live in a a municipality that's so sleazy that they tax the ownership of automobiles, I don't own it. Oh, well, I'm going to do that. Write that off, too. And by the time it's all over with, you spend more of the money inside the business than they ever get to tax. Well, they don't want that. That's not good. That's liberty. It's at least more liberty than the person... Because if I put you through an education system and you end up going to work for somebody... Well, all your taxes are taken care of somebody, by somebody else. Guess what? That means you will never have control, and I will. And and the and the person you work for is my minion of your control. That is the the, the small, agile, individual entrepreneur without employees that reaps the greatest benefits in today's society with an internet that enables that. Well. Why can't we teach that inside a virtual nation and then let people put that to practice where they learned it? Or even go to another virtual nation and do it. Or have locations in 10 virtual nations around the cloud. Why can't we do that? And is not education the key? Is not education the key? And I think that it's, see again, I think pieces of this exist. Liberty ME, um, Jeffrey Tucker's thing, I think that's a big part of what it is. But if you can wrap it into this world so that it can incorporate in Libertas or Big Nation or Permaville or whatever, Cloud City, Dot Nation, whatever, and have multiple incorporations within these virtual clouds and do different businesses based on what the demographic of that nation wants, just like Ford does different business in Brazil than they do in the United States. Why can't we do it too? with education we can. And education is infinitely reusable. It's infinitely packageable. We we don't have to have people sit in a classroom across from someone that picks on them to learn. They can you're learning from me right now. And you're choosing what to accept and what not to accept. You get to use whatever piece of what I give you the way you want to use it. I don't test you on it, tell you you're right, pat you on the head, and send you on your way with no ability to do anything. And if I don't deliver something actionable for long enough, you'll stop listening to me. Voluntary association with education. We can do that now. Also, I just had Toby Hemingway on. We talked about liberation permaculture and how if you do things with permaculture design, a lot of things are very hard to quantify and therefore tax. And that's in the physical world. So if I... Go out and I plant a hundred trees on my property. It just looks like trees. In fact, it looks less improved, not more improved. And therefore, I'm probably going to pay less tax on something worth more money. And then how do you look, how do you figure out what the yield of a permaculture system is? Where you can very easily calculate the yield of soybeans per acre. And that makes the whole system easy to tax. Well, in permaculture, Long before anybody came up with a Bitcoin, there was a concept introduced called lets. And lets are basically community level money, community level script. So that inside our little perma village, we don't use dollars or Australian dollars or pounds or euros. We exchange lets. You want to buy eggs? That's five lets. What's a let worth in dollars? Don't know. Don't care. What you need to worry about is once you take those five lets and you sold me eggs, will somebody here sell you feed for your chickens? And does that balance out? Yeah, great. And that there's much, and this was what's called strategies for an alternative global nation in permaculture. This is what that was built on us being individual expert private bankers that ran our own micro economies. It's a great idea. It's not very practical. printing and counterfeit concerns, whatever. The second Bitcoin came out, there's your lets. Very few people, I think, recognized it, and we have way too many purple breathers in permaculture that think money is bad for them to really get it yet. But there's no reason you couldn't run that type of system 100% on Bitcoin or create a derivative of a Bitcoin that's not designed to ever be exchanged back out. So it's never so see, you gotta start using the weapons of the state against the state. So it took the state forever to figure out what to do with Bitcoin. And then what they determined was that Bitcoin was to be regulated as property, right? Not money. So if you gave me Bitcoin that was worth a hundred dollars, then I paid tax on a hundred dollars, just like you had given me in a barter situation a physical good worth a hundred dollars. And then when I ever decided to sell it into cash, I then paid a tax or took a capital loss based on the appreciation or depreciation of the asset. Okay, so what if the Bitcoin that you bought $500 worth of goods for had an exchange rate where it was worth a dollar? I'll pay tax on a dollar, fine. And what if that... That Bitcoin, or Livercoin, or whatever it is, never then came back out. It stayed in there. And it never bought anything again outside of that realm. And how many layers of the onion can you build around that? Again, I don't know the answer, but I know that there's probably a lot. So... I think that if we can start combining these tactics of avoiding control and creating liberty for ourselves and and providing self-governance in the physical world with the virtual world at the same time and make as many interactive, confusing, choppy edges as possible, you get into a point where sooner or later it starts to become easier to work with you than work against you. Because this will follow the standard progression. You'll first be ignored... Then you'll be violently opposed, and then you'll, it'll be accepted as self-evident. That, 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 that's how this... And if you can get through the violent opposition stage, you're done. And, and, and that's about a critical mass, that's about enough people that they just go, man, we're going to create a freaking peasant's revolt if we do this, and our heads are going to come off. So we need to figure out how to work with these people, not against them. And, and, and what you have to do is you have to get as, as much done, as fast as possible, in the, the ignore stage. That You're already so close to com- critical mass by the time the opposition comes in that that opposition phase is as short as possible. That's how you get something like this done. It's an insurrection. Make no mistake about it. That's what it is. It is competition with things that people believe only the state can do. The next is we could do state-based contracts, or we could do contracts and conflict resolution immediately. It's just an agreement. It's just a piece of paper. It's prepared by someone you would call an attorney or a lawyer. It's arbitrated by someone you would call a judge. There is no reason we can't move contracts into a virtual nation if we built the platform tomorrow. And it wouldn't even be the state's business. It would be a private contract. You don't have any need to know what's going on. I'm sorry. Well, what if it's a legal activity? Well, if it's a legal activity, then go after the illegal activity. So if it's a contract to, I don't know, produce cocaine, well, then there's a lot of drug laws that that violates and things like that. But all that happens in the real world. right? The, the, the contract is private. You're asking me to testify against myself to give it to you anyway. And you, you, you have to stay out of the things like Silk Road and stuff like that, where you make it a haven for crime. You have to make this like this should not be a haven for crime. It should be a place where people want to do legitimate businesses with other people who want to do business with them, who simply want to avoid the supposed need of the intercession of the state. And I think we could do that with conflict resolution, like that fast. Because as soon as you set up, you can have people just go in and say, I am an arbitrator, this is my philosophy of arbitration, This is what I've done elsewhere in in the real world. This is where I live and all. This is how I would handle arbitration here. I'm to the letter of the contract. I'm to the spirit of the contract, whatever. And then two parties could look and say, well, let's pick an arbitrator or let's pick three arbitrators that would all be acceptable to us right now and state in our contract that if one of those arbitrators stops arbitrating, that we have 30 days to pick a new arbitrator to add to that list. Okay, you do that. And then people start rating their arbitrators. You know, we talk about rating your teacher, rate your arbitrator. I lost, but I still think this man was fair. And, you know, the arbitrators that would probably get the most business would be the ones that say, my initial attempt is always to resolve the conflict in a way that benefits both parties. To present solutions that may not have been thought of yet. We could do that tomorrow. There's nothing preventing that. At all. At all. And then it becomes, again, if you could do education and you could do contracts and conflict resolution, just those, you've already taken so much away from the state at that point. You have to think about what percentage of our society, in economic terms, is built around conflict resolution, contractual obligations, inter-business relationships... education it is freaking massive hundreds of billions that go into the state coffers if you take see people think well it's like a little bite well that's how you that's how you win you take little bites little bites little bites you bleed the opponent to death with paper cuts but that's actually not a paper cut that's a flesh wound guys if you can provide a legitimate alternative to conflict re- resolution, contractual agreements, and education. Just those three. Because you know what that does? That includes marriage. And divorce. Contractual obligation. Right? And arbitration. Conflict resolution. That's that, 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 that's the taking marriage away from the state. Well, can people get gay married? Don't care. Doesn't affect you. Does it matter? Maybe, maybe in cloud A, it's a bunch of people that don't like gay people. Nope, they can't get married in our cloud. Fine, don't care. They get married in B cloud. They get their conflict resolutions there. They get their statement of marriage from there, and they decide how much they want recognized outside of the cloud by whom. And you take the state marriage away from the state. I mean, I don't think it ever should have been the state's business in the first place. But if you take marriage away from the state, what can't you take away from the state? You know, we're married for the purpose uh, in the state of tax consequences, or we're not for the purpose of tax consequences. But we do whatever we want over here. Just saying, this kind of thing can work. Um... And you have to understand that contracts and conflict resolution from the state are divisive by design. A judge never says, you know, listen guys, instead of going further with this, have both of you guys considered the possibility that you might do this, this, and this, and you might do this, this, and that? Okay? Never. And if they did, you'd have attorneys in the ears of both of them, Going, nah, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. We can get more. We can get more. And the other attorney's going, listen, they got us on the ropes right now. Um, we're going to have to keep fighting or we're going to lose even more. Like, this is never going to work. So the attorneys in the system are designed to agitate the division. And the judge agitates the division. How does anybody benefit other than the attorneys in the state who are basically in a fascist cabal there? Why would anybody choose this as a means of reconciling a difference? You know that the guy that represents you is out to get what he can, and the guy that represents your opponent is out to get what he can, and that the person in the middle doesn't give a shit about any of you, and is just going to do whatever benefits him as a bureaucrat, or whatever he was told to do by a book or a superior. Why would anybody want to resolve a conflict that way? Why wouldn't that always be your absolute positive last resort? Oh, by the way, if you think you can't set up arbitration and have it be binding, you can. And if you, right now, without even a virtual world, agree to that in a contract, and you agree to an arbitration, and and the conditions of the arbitration are met, and the other party doesn't like it and goes to the state, the state right now when it does its job right goes can't help you. Can't help you. I have to I have to agree with the arbitrator. And if you don't want to pony up your side of the deal so to speak. So you and I have a private contract. We have private arbitration. We seek non-binding and then binding by our contract. And then we get a binding agreement or a binding resolution from our arbitrator. And you say, well, do you know what, Jack? I'm still not paying you the 500 bucks. Then I can go to the state, and I can take the arbitration decision to the state, and the state will enforce what you you should have owned up to in arbitration. So there's already mechanisms for this. This is already done. Why can't we do it a different way, a better way? Why can't we do it in a way that puts the state even further out of it? And I think that there's so many objections when I bring up this concept, and I think this is what I want to say. We can't take, what we can't take back initially should not be an excuse for our inaction. Just because there's places where you can't get away, right? Because what people say is the way to do this is you buy like an island somewhere and you declare sovereignty and everybody moves there and no one shows up, right? But we can do some of it, so we should. We should take every single incremental step we can to deny the state the right to seize our property and to tell us how to live and to live in our own way by whatever peaceful means are possible. And this is something that's possible. And people say, well, they'll try to stop it. Of course they're going to try to stop it. It's an insurrection. What would you expect? You can have a revolution, that you can have an insurrection and not only have it be nonviolent and bloodless, but have it be unopposed. Whenever you try to change any paradigm, it's resisted by the people that benefit from the current paradigm. Of course they are. I don't care. I care about how it could work. I think that one of it, in the ways it works is anarchism leadership. No rulers. And then, again, I believe profit in using the platform. Not from owning or controlling it. So, <laughs> that's the problem. Do you realize that's the problem we have with America? Instead of people profiting in the American marketplace, they're profiting by the control of America itself. In other words, I, I, I don't like Monsanto, right? But if they were just profiting by just selling their product, just the people that wanted to buy it and poison their bodies, I would hate them a hell of a lot less. It's the fact that they have lobbyists and they have a revolving door where they become rulers and then go back into their little fiefdom and then become rulers and go back into their fiefdom, back and forth, where they, they go in and they run the Department of Agriculture for a few years, and then that guy goes back to work for Monsanto. They're actually profiting through the control of the platform rather than through being a part of the platform and selling their goods on, on, on top of it. And you can go into every industry. The, the pharmaceutical industry, the food industry, you, and you can just keep going. Oil, gas, all of the energy things, education. The, the, the people that make the most money actually control the platform and profit directly from the control. And if you're going to replace that, you can't build something that works that way. We're like, I am the founder of Libertas, and therefore, since Libertas brought in $800 million this year, I get $200 million, and I set the rules. You might as well stay where you're at. And that's exactly what we live in. That's what an oligarchy means. I mean, a lot of people throw the word around, but you don't really understand that, do you? They actually don't just control, they profit due to the control. Not just with what they do after they enact the controls, but the control itself is profitable. That's why a congressman can make a salary ten times what they ever made in Congress the day after they get voted out of office by becoming a lobbyist. They actually profit via control. You can't build a model that way. And to be blunt, it has to be built before they will come. Just like Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. You have to build the platform. Somebody has to do it. I'm not going to do it. I mean, I I know whenever I float things like this, people are like, he just wants control. I don't want to control anybody's shit. I wish somebody would build this so I could use it. I would participate in it. You know, I I think it would be awesome to, to kind of build something this way. You know, my final thoughts on this are, again, I want you to think about this one more time. What can't be done should not be an excuse for the inaction on what can be done. And we're not going to know and we got to crash some rockets, man. And, and I want to kind of close the loop here on this so that if like this wasn't your thing today, it's still beneficial to you. Th- that's got to be like your attitude toward whatever you're trying to do in life. you got to blow up some rockets. So if you're trying to start a business, you can't be afraid to fail. I, I, I usually know an entrepreneur is not going to be successful in their business when they say, well, failure is not an option. Whew, wow, that would have waited to design a business. And you say, well, should you plan to fail? In some ways, you should plan for if you fail. What is your exit strategy from this? Have you mortgaged your entire life into this business? Don't do that. Always have a fallback. Well, if you have a fallback, you might take it as the objection. No, if you have a fallback, you might need it, and it'll be there. This is prepping. Think about that. I mean, if you build a business with no fallback, it's like not prepping for a storm right you have to have fallbacks because you might need to fall back so that you can get up and do it again not so you can quit and run away and i again if if we would start crashing rockets again i think we might get somewhere in this country you know and it's a billion bucks so what they waste that every day at least we'd be figuring out how to actually get to mars which i don't think we're ever really going to do unless spacex does it Uh, And and I have my doubts about that, too. There's a lot of ways to make money selling an idea versus selling reality. Don't get me wrong. I think that'll happen. I just don't know that I'll still be here when it does. And and I kind of like would like to leave you guys today with a bit of a call to action to comment on this episode from this standpoint. What could be done? Forget how. And what I mean by forgetting how, I don't mean like the technical way that it might work uh, as far as how it would create a shell against the state. Like, th- that we can go into the how. What I mean is like, well, you'd have to build it with this type of code or whatever. Brainstorming, you just think about all the things you want it to do. And then you let the people that know the technical how figure out how to make that happen. Right? So I'd like to know, what do you think would work in a virtual nation that's one thing I think you I would like to hear more ideas than just conflict resolution and education though as I said that's that's a huge piece of the state's pie and it's also a huge piece of their control but what else Um, how could we create financial systems that are either not taxable or taxable at ridiculously low relative rates so you're still paying the state the 30% or whatever but they're getting 30% of a much smaller number. How how could that be structured? How can we come up with ways to use things like the Uber model to incorporate the virtual and the physical in ways that still create a shell of protection or get around existing laws and codes? Hmm? These are all things that we need to start thinking about. Because I'll tell you what it'll do. It's not just an idea that maybe someday somebody will build something like this and then other people will go, oh, it's easy now. Because what will happen is somebody will do this right finally. And the day they do, there'll be 15 other developers working on the next version and some of them will be better. And some of them will be the same but different. And people will have choice. And it will become so simple. It will be like breaking the four-minute mile. And all of a sudden everybody's doing it. Alright. It will, you know, you still have to be a good runner, you're not gonna do it. But all of a sudden, all these people that were five or six seconds over, all of a sudden, magically can do it because someone else did. It'll be like Bitcoin. D- doing Bitcoin was hard. Cloning it was easy. Modifying the cloned version became pretty simple pretty fast. Entire exchanges were built. I mean, so much happened so fast, that's why government didn't know what to do with it. Well, we'll ridicule it. Ah, uh, it's not working. Okay, well, we'll attack it. Ah, uh, shit, screw it. We'll accept it and we'll give guidance on it. Isn't that what happened with Bitcoin? Did it go from like a full... I told you when it happened to last year, early in the year, is it full court press coming and they did, man. They were putting it into crime dramas and saying that people were trading drugs with it. And, and, and like two months later, all of a sudden, here's tax guidance. And like a month after that, it's acceptable... To, to, to give a political donation to a candidate of your choice in Bitcoin. And next thing you know, you're, there's, there's you know, gift. Where you can buy gift cards with it and spend them on any store, anywhere. Without actually, I mean, and then stores are taking it and ATMs are taking I mean, it, it was like that. Because the resistance was too late in the game. Because they didn't understand what they were dealing with. And that's how this has to build. This has to be the build of this head of ideas and then hit this explosion of reality. And then all of a sudden, when it's resisted, it's everywhere and I don't understand it and the hell with it. I'd like to do business with these people. How how do we do business? Because if you get, if you get a nation, even a small one like in Ecuador going, you know, guys, this uh, Libertas nation with these like 500,000 citizens all over the world, yeah, you know, That's a significant demographic for a country of our size. How do we entice them to do business with us? And how do we take our state corporate veil and let them use it so they'll want to do business with us? How do we get them to come want to work with us? Versus the state's model is generally, we will tell them what to do. If you get the state on the other end, Begging you to work with them. Revenue Liberty reigns. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat.